I'm super excited to welcome this week's guest, Dr. Maya Shetreet, MD, to the show today. Dr. Maya is a board-certified neurologist, herbalist, urban farmer, and author of The Dirt Cure, which has been praised by the New York Times. She has been featured in the New York Times, The Telegraph, NPR, Sky News, and The Dr. Oz Show. Dr. Maya is the founder of the Terrain Institute, where she teaches terrain medicine, earth-based programs for transformational healing. She works and studies with several teachers of spiritual work and has worked and studied with indigenous communities, teachers and healers in the jungles and mountains of Ecuador. She is a lifelong student of ethnobotany, plant healing and the sacred. She guides others to connect to their spiritual self, be true to who they are and achieve that potent power which lies within them. Dr. Maya is a wife, a mother, a spiritual seeker and practicing neurologist. I'm talking with Dr. Maya about hygiene, hypothesis, microbiome, dirt cure and sleep. This episode is filled with great information from a doctor as well as a mother. If you struggle with your child's health or your own, this is the episode that you need. I'm so excited to have her here today. Welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. I'm your host, Deepa. Join me and my many expert guests and medical professionals from the cutting-edge science of functional medicine of the West and ancient wisdom of the East. Learn all about how to discover your root causes of poor sleep and understand the proper tools and techniques to end your confusion and begin getting a good night's sleep. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey with the Sleep Whisperer podcast. podcast and uh, this conversation is something I've been looking forward to for so long because one of the reasons that I got so attracted to your work and then I read your book is uh, one of the reasons of course was I think our boys are similar age and then when I read about some of the challenges you had with your little boy and my son uh, is born with adrenal disorder so so much of what you've written in your book resonated with me as a mom so deeply and uh, I don't know if you've read this book called the autobiography of a yogi have you read this book by Paramahamsa Yogananda Uh, there's a beautiful phrase in that where when I came across you I felt you were the perfect fit so he said The greatest scientists are deeply spiritual people and the most spiritual 
people are deeply logical so when i uh, i recall reading this book 20 years back and when i came across your work it was such a it was almost like it was describing you so because you are a board certified uh, neurologist but you also speak so much about if you somebody goes to your instagram account there's so much of magic and symbolism so it's a lovely meeting ground of science and spirituality so uh i'd love to know how the dirt cure happened and uh, your journey of course i've read it in the book itself but just to tell our listeners about the story of your son's health what brought you on that journey and uh, another thing that really struck me in the book was that you spoke that if i as a doctor struggled so much to get the the medical world to view my child differently than what about other parents and this is so vividly true so uh, just share your story with us first sure you know it's funny because um people always think that i started out as a very straight-laced doctor and that i became someone who was more you know open-minded spiritual you know an herbalist all of those things but really i started out even as a child i was all about you know being with nature and making like potions with plants and it was always a really a really deep part of who i was and i think you know we learn to be very um if we want to you know if we want to be seen and we want to be heard and we want to be successful in this world um we're we're sort of expected to let go of everything mystical you know everything spiritual um everything really creative about us if we want to have that you know be taken seriously especially as women you know um and so for me you know it was going to medical school the reason i went to medical school was because i had watched a, a whole special by bill moyers who does these you know beautiful uh would do these doc sort of docu series called healing and the mind and he had uh, a story of a of a child who had lupus and she was getting she was going into renal failure from her meds to control her lupus but when they stopped her meds her lupus would flare so they gave her castor oil every time they gave her meds and then they stopped giving her meds and continued giving her castor oil and she responded just as though she was getting her meds but without the renal failure and i was like probably in college at the time and i thought wow like they called it psychoneuroimmunology and i said great like that's what i want to do i want to do psychoneuroimmunology i thought that was like the coolest thing i'd ever heard of and i wrote an essay about it i somehow got accepted to medical school and i did it but you know once you're in medical school and maybe you know this too like it's a a huge amount of information you have to take in and it's really not to say it's brainwashing but there is a group think to it you know you're not encouraged to really question or think outside the box in like especially as a student you know but even after that and um so it was really you know over my training i i had three kids you know and at the very end i was in my fellowship my neurology fellowship and um i had my son 
um, my youngest son, and he started to get hives. And then on his first birthday, he got what seemed like a terrible case of asthma. And he got, um, he had basically almost every other week from his first birthday on for 10 months, he was, he was sick. And it was terrible. I mean, I was in my medical training. His dad was in his medical training. So we were having to miss work, you know, to take care. I mean, it was scary and he couldn't breathe. And all the doctors that we took him to, you know, um, were, were like, well, he's just a reactive kid. And they put him on antibiotics and they put him on steroids and they put him on um, inhalers. And, you know, it was just kind of like, no one was looking at like what was going on. And at that time, no one talked about root cause. That wasn't a thing. Um, that's actually a pretty new concept, at least as far as you know, being in the mainstream uh, lingo. But um, that's what I was trying to figure out. I was like, what happened? You know, what's going on and how can I change this underlying issue? And we went to doctors and I told this story, we went to one of the top allergists in the world, top pediatric allergists in the world um, at a hospital where you know, my son's dad was, on, was part of the faculty. <clears throat> and, um, and I was here, I was a, a fellow in, you know, adult and pediatric neurology. Um, you know, his dad was also at that hospital, a doctor. And this guy basically pat me on the head and was like, you're a hysterical mom, settle down. Um, you know, he's going to be fine. He doesn't have any problems. And more or less, you know, sent me on my way. And I was like, you know, at the same time, my son also had um, a developmental plateau. So he had been a really early talker, eight months was saying words. And then um, as soon as this started, he gained no more words. He cut, kept his words, but he gained no more words. He started falling, he got very clumsy. He lost some of his reflexes. So he was falling on the ground, but like hitting his face because he wasn't putting his hands out, which is a, a normal safety reflex, you know? They didn't do that. Um, it was really scary. And for me, especially as a neurologist, it was very scary to watch this plateau or even, you know, maybe it was even a regression. So, um, yeah, so, and it all kind of came to me really trusting myself, me diving into the scientific literature, me finding a different allergist who could help me because I was certain he was allergic to something. And it turned out, in fact, that this second allergist was willing to test him for foods. The first allergist was not, you know? And it turned out he was severely allergic to soy. And um, as soon as we took soy out of his diet, he stopped having these events. And then it was just about healing him from all of those meds he'd gotten, which really attacked his gut, attacked his immune system. You know, I mean, doing all these things during such a, a, an important kind of period of development when he was from a year to two years old, getting steroids, getting antibiotics in such great quantities, um, and really, again, like no one was questioning it that whole time. All the doctors were like, you know, no, Maya, calm down, you know. And so to answer your second question, so that was this huge journey. And I then, you know, really started to have to heal him. And we can talk about, you know, how that kind of took me to writing the dirt here and other things. But to answer your other question, because I think it's a really pivotal, important and timely question is what is it like for parents and especially mothers who are, you know, either talking about, you know, or women who are talking about health issues that are coming up with their children or health, health issues that are coming up in their own bodies and being dismissed. 
Yeah. You know, not being believed, being told, no, you know, this is all in your head or that's impossible or, um, you know, or you don't remember it correctly. You know, these things which are really gaslighting, you know, we, we have a really good word for it now where it's like you're being told you can't trust your own body or you can't trust your own eyes. So for me, one of the cornerstones of my practice, because all of that happened really before I went into practice. And, and when I went into my own practice and I wasn't in the hospital setting anymore, um, I, I, I made a commitment to myself, you know, I believe parents, you know, I believe people and what they say about their own body. I mean, yes, sure, there are some people who, you know, might not be direct or might not tell a good story, the history exactly right. I mean, that exists, but it's so not typical. Like what's typical is people come in, they have their own perceptions about what's going on in their body or in their children's body or whatever. And, you know, for me, the most important thing is to listen to them and to work together as a team. And what I always say is you're the expert in yourself or you're the expert in your child. I'm the expert in many people. Like I'm an expert in looking at lots of children or lots of women, you know, and, but you're the expert in yourself. And we can't really do this well unless we're working as a team. I think I think whoever seeing you is really blessed to be having somebody like you overseeing their child and we need to talk about how um, it is. I mean, we are dismissed all the time. So I must share something very quickly before you go into how dirt cure happened that um, I was, uh, I had got divorced and then married again and I was really desperate to have my baby. And then this three, three week old baby is just vomiting for two weeks and becoming shriveled up and dark and not urinating, not feeding. And the pediatrician I went to actually looked at me and said, oh, you're just first time mom, you're just paranoid. And uh, thankfully, he left town that day. And then the very next day, because he wasn't in town, I went to the emergency room and they pushed him into the NICU. And uh, he, they said you, you, in two hours, he would have passed away because he's got undiagnosed adrenal disorder and his sodium was so low, his potassium was so high. He was about an hour or two before we actually lost him. So this is happening all the time. And it's that something else also. I'm deeply passionate about trying to change this perception everywhere. So it's great to have somebody like you. So tell us about how this whole journey made you a better doctor and how the dirt cure actually happened. Well, you know, I think, I think like our children very many times are, you know, and not just our children, but our children can be really spiritual teachers to us, um, you know, and that story, which gives me chills, really, to hear, to think about what you went through and to think about um, how many people are not, you know, don't make that last minute yeah. change. Or, you know, like, for example, right now in the United States, we look at a disparity between, um, you know, what white women and black women experience when they go to have a baby. And the chances of a black woman not being believed, you know, all of the things that you're talking about, not being believed, not being treated for their pain, not being treated for their condition. And so their mortality is actually 
significantly higher and their babies too, you know? And it's like, these are the things that, you know, in medicine, there is real misogyny and racism and all of these things. And I do think that this is misogyny. You know, what you experienced, yeah. this, oh, you're hysterical. Oh, you're a first time mom. I'm the expert. I'm this paternalistic person who has the answers and you're just a silly or hysterical or scared or whatever. It's a, it's a trope. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a false belief and it's sort of a superiority power dynamic. And um, so I, you know, I, I do think for, my, for me, you know, my children, my children have really taught me so much about how I want to be um, in the world, you know, how I want to be as a doctor, how I want to be as someone who speaks with her authentic voice, you know, as opposed to kind of towing the line and not saying what I really believe, because that's not who I want to teach my children to be. So you know, and me, my youngest, you know, my son who kind of took me on this journey, I call him my muse because he really, although, you know, when I, when I finished my medical training finally, and my son was, you know, in the process of his healing, I remember saying to my sister-in-law, I said, you know, I think I really want to do things with like food as medicine. And I think I'm really interested in integrative medicine. And she said, Maya, you've always been interested in integrative medicine. And it was like, I'd completely forgotten after all these years of being in training and working my butt off and getting no sleep and having children, you know what I mean? Like you, you do forget who you are a little bit. And he, his illness kind of steered me back and in a way I couldn't ignore. He was sick. I mean, there's no way that you can look away when it's your child who's sick. You can't just, you know, say, oh no, I'm not gonna do that. That's too uncomfortable, too hard for me to step outside the box or whatever, when it's your kid. Nobody right. in the mainstream had answers, you know, or, or were giving me answers. And so, you know, even at that time, for example, you know, no one was talking about the gut-brain connection. Again, that was, you know, this was all kind of before that was a big part of the conversation or the microbiome. That just wasn't a conversation at the time. So for me, you know, when I was like, oh, like my son had this allergy, but why? Like what, what happened? What, why would he have had this kind of allergy to soy? I thought soy was healthy, you know, at the time. He was drinking soy milk because he'd been like gassy with dairy. So I thought, great, like he was on soy milk and I thought that was a healthy thing to give him and then it turned out it was actually he was having it every day and it was making him sick for 10 months I mean it made him so sick and then I realized you know as I dove into the scientific literature I saw oh like these antibiotics and these steroids are actually disrupting his gut microbiome and that's a real thing and I thought oh I'm looking at soy how is soy grown like why would soy cause problems well soy is one of the most highly sprayed with pesticide crops that we have in the United States, you know, 97 or 99 percent of soy is Dow is Roundup ready, we call it, which means it yeah. can take an extra dose of Roundup, which is you know a very strong pesticide that's linked to a lot of health issues. So here I realized, wow, like all of these things I thought were okay, you know, and I thought, we're, well, we all hear antibiotics are life-saving and they, and they can be, you know, that's not untrue. It's just, you know, what I did to my son by this pediatrician who had the best, his best interest at heart. And I believe that, you know, giving him antibiotics and steroids repeatedly throughout that first year of life, it took us, 
it took us, you know, another five years to really fully recover him. What we know now that we look at it, for example, is that one round of antibiotics can change your gut microbiome for four to seven years. Uh, and you know what is really scary is that I see so many mothers today who uh, the, the some of the doctors are actually telling me that um, the parents come to them, the mothers come to them after two days of their child coughing or having a cold and uh, forcing the doctor to prescribe antibiotics. So that happens as well. And I've heard friends telling me that my son's been sick for two days and the doctor's not giving him antibiotics. It's high time he prescribed antibiotics. So that other aspect is there as well that there are some parents who actually believe that children shouldn't stay sick. And uh, I read in your book just before we got on the call that consider every fever an opportunity for the immune system to learn to respond better next time, which is so profound, but so many people are actually not following that. So how did you, uh, how did you actually work with your son to uh, rebuild his health? Yeah, I mean, I would just say about that, that we've been conditioned to not trust our own bodies. And, you know, what it comes down to is that, you know, we have immune systems that are very intelligent and detoxification too. Like our bodies are really, um, they have, they're, they're very complex and they're very intelligent. Each system is very intelligent, but they need to be educated. Just, you know, you wouldn't expect, right? I think the example I use is like, you wouldn't expect your child just to be able to like walk up onto stage or you yourself to be able to walk up onto stage with no background, no lessons and play, you know, a violin concerto with a symphony. But you, but you know that if you did practice again and again and again, it could be that, you know, when the time came to get on stage, maybe for a recital first, or maybe not, you know, for the big performance, you would, you would be prepared. And what we do right now is give this immune system, you know, this, if it's a child in particular, right? But it's really true for all of us all the time um, that we're, the immune system's always learning. Every time you get sick, it's an opportunity for your body to learn how to not have that same kind of experience the next time, how to, you know, protect you in different and new and nuanced ways. And instead what we do is sort of, it's sort of like, you know, we're trying to pay someone else to practice the violin for you by saying, oh, well, let's give an antibiotics. Let's take steroids. Let's, you know, so we're kind of saying, no, no, no. Like someone else is going to do it for you. Yet we still expect, you know, we still expect the immune system to perform, right? We still want, we still want to get up and play the violin concerto with no practice or we slap away, you know, we're slapping away our child's hand every time they go to practice the violin. No, what we want to do is we want those experiences. We want to practice. So for me, every time a child who has a really, a, a really open new immune system to learn all these things, I mean, why do babies crawl around on the floor? It's, it's partly, you know, to develop muscles in the hands and, you know, certain developmental, um, practices that have to do with physical development, 
you know, and, you know, fine and gross motor, but part of it, and why do babies then put their hands in their mouth and put everything in their mouth? It's actually because it's an education of the immune system to be a little dirty and for the body and for, you know, to put things in our mouth, to have this experience of getting these small little interactions with microbes, with germs, with dirt, um, so that the immune system gets to learn in these small um, these small ways again and again, and it develops and it ha it becomes intelligent. You know, that's what we're, that's what we want to do. So, you know, for my son, it really was similar, even though he was a little bit older, you know, he was two. Um, when we first started to kind of recover him, uh, you know, it was a lot of time outdoors in nature. And I lived in New York City. So it, you know, I grown a little garden behind my office. And, you know, he was there, I had chickens, he was experienced sharing the microbiome of this garden this garden that had soil and had fresh vegetables, it had, um, you know, chickens, and we had fresh eggs, and the microbiome of all these different things were building up and making his microbiome more diverse, giving him fresh food from healthy soil also was really important, and, um, and not always medicating him if he got sick, you know, and for a long time, and I wrote about this in the book, I mean, he didn't really get his first fever his first real fever until he was seven or eight years old. And I was so excited <laughs> when he got <laughs> this fever, like people who thought I was crazy, you know, but it was, it showed me that his immune system was doing what it was supposed to do. It was mounting a response. He wasn't just like, you know, kind of reclining and lying there and not mounting that immune response. It showed me that his immune system wanted to fight and yeah. um, appropriately. So I was like, wow, this is fantastic. And what I would say to a lot of those parents who are thinking, well, but my kid's sick, you know, number one is to not panic too quickly, you know? And number two is there are some really great herbs and botanicals that are available to help both moderate the immune system. So to give, strengthen the immune system as it's doing its process. Um, and also that are antimicrobial. I mean, one yeah. of the things to bring up is just things like sage and thyme, like kitchen herbs that every, like a lot of people use on a daily basis or use frequently. Um, you know, those are some of the most antimicrobial herbs you can get that are so easy to get. And you can put them in vinegar. You can put them in honey. You, you know, it, you could put them in your, in your food and know that you're getting this strong antimicrobial um, medicine essentially. And like, say I make a spray from sage and thyme that I use for, for throat infections that I use over almost any other thing, you know, mm -hmm. almost any other medicine that I would have available. And it's so effective. Um, so I've, what I was really fascinated before when I came across your work was I, uh, I read about the term hygiene hypothesis and then I saw the book Dirt Cure. And uh, this is something that you see a lot today, where especially in the challenges we're facing right now with COVID globally, there's so much of hyper-cleanliness and uh, parents uh, frequently giving their little children hand sanitizers, asking them to wash up. I recall when, when you spoke about children crawling on the floor, how it's good for them because it's actually training the immune system. I was actually, uh, see, there were guests who came home who looked at me aghast 
when I let my baby crawl on the floor and said, do you not know how to take care of your child? You don't, he's putting so many things into his mouth. He's going to get sick. And I said, but that's just the way his immune system's going to learn. And they looked at me like I was cuckoo. So tell us three things. What is the hygiene hypothesis? What is the microbiome? And what is the dirt cure? Sure. So the hygiene hypothesis was this idea that um, basically, you know, children are more likely to get sick when they're cleaner. And the idea was that, okay, we see children who grow up on traditional farms, you know, and, the tr and those children tend to have less al fewer allergies and less asthma, right? Like less of this kind of allergic, atopic, we call it kinds of conditions. And, um, and actually what's interesting about that is it, you know, so they did a study, right? Cause we said, okay, so children who are living in, let's say urban apartments are cleaner and therefore they're sicker. But then there were some scientists who went into an urban apartment and compared the number of microbes, uh, microbes being bacteria, viruses, fungi, parasites, you know, the whole gamut of different kinds of germs, as we also call them, um, and compared it to, to the number that they found on a farm, on a traditional farm. Turned out that the numbers were very similar. But the difference was that on the farm, there were many more kinds of microbes, meaning that it was a much more diverse array of different kinds of microbes. So what, what we then kind of discovered from that is that it's not just about being cleaner, but it's, it's about having access to diverse organisms, being exposed to diverse organisms. And you know what I'll add to that is what, we, what happens when we have diverse organisms in our body, and I'll talk about the microbiome now, is that it, allow, it, it, it prevents, when you have many different kinds of organisms, it makes it less likely that any one organism will grow out of control, which is what we call an infection, you know? And it also allows this constant communication with the immune system so that there's a, there's a back and forth. So let me say what the microbiome is. The microbiome is, um, is a, a body of three to five pounds of organisms, microscopic organisms, um, like I said, bacteria, viruses, fungi, parasites, any number of these things, three to five pounds that live in and on our body. And we talk, so our skin, our mouth, our ears, our nose, you know, there's a vaginal microbiome. Um, but of course, the big place that we talk about it the most is the gut microbiome. Um, the gut is open on both ends, right? Mouth and the other end. Um, and within that, we have, you know, Think about this if you're thinking about you know how many pounds and i'm not going to try to translate into kilos at the moment but you know how many pounds when you three to five pounds of microscopic organisms we have more um my, like microbes genetic material of microbes in our body than we even have human genetic material so we they're part of us and they're part of our bodies and what they do is they help regulate our bodies in all kinds of ways one of which is they help us break down our food in really important ways. Another is they actually, their waste products are our vitamins, like B, certain B vitamins, for example, also incredibly important. Like we wouldn't have enough B vitamins if it weren't for the organisms in our body. 
um, and in our guts that actually help us um, by excreting those, those vitamins for us. Um, another thing that they do is they actually regulate our mood and a lot of, and our cognition. So they help us focus, they help us feel good. And that sounds like what, you know, but actually there's, there's a whole field now in, in pharmacology and pharmaceutical companies now are talking about psychobiotics and they're creating the next generation of um, antidepressant and other mood meds that are based in organisms because they actually help um, address our, the way we think, our cognition, how well we focus, um, and how we feel if we're anxious, if we're depressed, all of those things um, are modulated by organisms. So then, um, so then we have this, you know, we have this microbiome, it's helping our immune system function well, it's helping our brain function well, it's helping our gut function well. So the dirt cure um, really for me are the three foundational pillars of what you can do to have a healthy microbiome. And so, and a diverse microbiome, which is really what a healthy microbiome is. And that means um, being exposed to germs and microbes. And I know that that's extra controversial with the world in a state of, you know, social distancing and masks and all of that. Um, but being exposed to diverse microbes, um, eating fresh food from healthy soil, and getting out into nature. Those three things are incredibly important for having the foundations of health. And it's interesting, I'm going to add something. Um, someone asked me, oh, because of, you know, COVID and the times we're in, do you, would you rescind or take back what you said in that book? And yeah. I said, no, really the opposite, because here we are right now facing, you know, a novel a novel organism, right? Something that our bodies haven't seen before. What defense do we really have? Our defense is to have a healthy, balanced immune system. And that means, as we know, to have a healthy, balanced immune system, not too strong, not too much in the, in the direction of fighting, right? Because we don't want cytokine storm, um, which is one of the dreaded complications of COVID, but also not too weak, right? We don't want it to just railroad over us. How are we gonna have a healthy, balanced immune system? Having diverse microbes, having a healthy microbiome, and getting out into nature so that we're getting vitamin D, we're getting constant exposure to diverse microbes all the time, moving our bodies, detoxifying, you know, moving our bodies and breathing heavy when we move and are active. So we're pumping our lymphatic fluid and detoxifying well. Excellent. In fact, when you spoke about the whole, uh, the apartment versus the farm, there's something which was so unusual, which happened to me that I, I first lived in an apartment in the city when my, till my son was two years old and he never had any asthma or anything. And then we moved to the farm and then he started getting uh, wheezing, but this was two years or three years after he'd been on corticosteroids for his condition. And then uh, his doctor looked at him and looked at me and said, you need to get rid of all your dogs because they're the reason for his asthma. So I said, it absolutely doesn't make any sense. I was cooped up in this little space with no ventilation and I had my dogs there and he's now in a space which is so open. He's on the farm and it, it there's just it's no explanation that my dogs are causing him allergies now when he's 
uh, not in a cooped up space and he's in open air. Uh, so there's so much of black and white beliefs out there that you sometimes it's really hard to break through those barriers. But so what's actually happening in the microbiome of somebody who's hyper clean and somebody who's just playing in the earth and not really focused on washing their hands every time they touch sand or uh, what's the difference that's going on in the microbiome? Right. Well, so when you're outside and you're just touching and exploring, you know, you get exposed. So in one teaspoon of soil um, are as many organisms as there are people on the planet. So if we can imagine, you know, we talk about probiotics these days, right? Probiotics are, are pills, generally pills or powder that are filled with organisms bacteria that we're taking on purpose, right? Which is like, I always laugh because 20 years ago, if you would say you were doing that, people would be like, oh, you must have right. a death. Yeah. And here we are now being like, we take our bacteria by pill. Yes. But of course, the way we've gotten bacteria in this kind of exposure before, healthy bacteria is by playing, you know, by gardening or by farming or by living with dirt floors in our homes, right? I mean, this is, this whole concept of civilization as it is right now um, and being hygienic and being sterile, it's very, it's relatively new. It's a relatively new idea. And you know, what I say to people is, um, you know, if you're gonna, if I need surgery, please, like I want it sterile, right? I and mean, if we're really gonna be puncturing, you know, putting across normal barriers, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in hand washing with soap before you eat, you know, yeah. after the bathroom, that kind of thing. Soap, just soap, not, you know, not hand sanitizer, not anything fancy. But, um, you know, what it comes down to is um, when you're outside and you're in nature and you're in the forest or you're on the beach or wherever you might be, um, you're getting little bits of bacteria through from the soil that you're breathing in, into your, into your nostrils, or um, that you might touch your mouth and get a little bit that way, or coming in through little cuts in your hands. And what it turns out is that you're actually strengthening your immune system because of exactly what happens with children, right? What I was talking about, which is you're giving your body these little exposures and they're really important and you're adding in diverse organisms again and again in small, gentle ways. Um, so it's not like you're, you know, nobody, nobody's saying here, go have a bowl full of dirt and eat that, exactly. you know, for a meal. Yeah, it's little traces like you eat, you know, the tomato off the vine or you eat, take a bean off and, mm -hmm. you know, you're not like necessarily going and power washing it and, you know, putting all kinds of chemicals on it. You can just eat that and these little traces of, of organisms that live in the microbiome of the earth then become part of your microbiome. And what that does is, um, you know, I would think of it like this. If you lived in a community where you never saw anyone that ever looked very different, you know, you saw the same three people all the time. Yeah. And when you go to like a big city where they're all different kinds of people and it's busy, it's crowded, you're going to be scared probably of all those people because you don't, you right. don't, you know, you've never seen them before. You don't have any context. It's a new experience. It's scary. And it's going to make you nervous and make you afraid. And you might think everyone could be an enemy, right? Because you don't know if they're nice, if they're not, if you've, 
if you've been in an environment that's incredibly diverse, you've been in the city your whole life, I mean, I'm using this as sort of its own little analogy here, you know, you'll have lots of different kinds of people that you met, you know, a lot of different kinds of people. So, you know, that's going to mean that you're going to be less scared in new experience, you know, in, in a different environment, because you're like, yeah, I've known lots of different people. And most people seem really, are really cool, you know? So for your immune system, it's kind of like that because a lot of your immune system is in your gut. And so all the things that come through your gut, you know, your immune system is going to constantly be sampling because the immune system is a really social system. So it's always kind of meeting and greeting everybody. And it likes to meet and greet lots of different kinds of of organisms and compounds and foods and you know whatever's coming through and when it only sees a few things and then it's going to get really nervous you know and think there's an enemy when there's not really an enemy and start yeah. sending you know let's say it sees milk you know what i mean and it's like a milk protein right. oh my god i never saw that before and then it's like me 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 you know mm -hmm. sending out the emergency cytokines and activating the immune system and saying we have an enemy and that's what allergies look like and asthma could look like and eczema could look like is this immune system being activated whereas if the if that person has eaten lots of different kinds of food been exposed to lots of different kinds of organisms it's going to see things coming through and be like hey i know you hey yeah i know you you're cool hey okay yeah i saw you and and things are not going to be as likely to activate the immune system so when the real problematic organisms or foods or compounds or whatever they might be come through you know the body's ready like it's not being distracted all the time by, you know, just totally normal things like, uh, you know, like think about how we react to pollen. Many people react to pollen. Yeah. You know, that's a waste of our immune system activating because the pollen is not an enemy. It's just that our bodies have, have become activated against it. Whereas, you know, you want, let's say if you eat poison, like let's say you eat, you know, something that's poisonous to you, you want your body to be like, you know, so yeah. waste all those resources on something totally innocent because there are things that can be problematic and our bodies are well equipped to deal with them when they're not being distracted in all these different ways. Uh, so in your practice, have you come across people who have sleep issues and you've noticed some connection between the microbiome and sleep? And if so, just talk to us about that connection. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the microbiome is the soil from which everything grows out of the body, you know, and I already said how it's connected to the immune system and it's connected to the mood. It's connected to how we think and feel. So it really is connected to everything. So some, you know, there are a lot of reasons why um, sleep could be affected by the health of our microbiome. If you're very inflamed, for one thing, yeah. you know, that's going to affect you in your in the way you sleep it's going to affect your whole kind of nervous system um, when you're inflamed so that's one thing um, another thing is anxiety so yeah. having you know a disrupted immune system um, is going to drive anxiety so there's i'm not going to get too much into it but i want to just mention that one way that the gut microbiome and the health of the gut affect our brains is through something called the vagus nerve and right. the vagus nerve starts, um, well, it's bi-directional, so it doesn't exactly start anywhere. But let's say, you know, it, it innervates the gut and uh, it makes its way, meanders, it's a very primitive part of our nervous system actually, meanders its way up, it goes through our diaphragm, it affects our lungs, 
and our, our respiratory rate. It affects our hearts and our heart rate. It makes its way up through, you know, into the brainstem. And it affects our brainstem. It affects how we think and how we feel and how calm we are. The vagus nerve is a really important part of the parasympathetic nervous system. And we could get really complex and totally geek out about it, but I'm going to keep it very simple right now and just say, you know, that basically, you know, the brain affects the gut. So how you feel actually affects your gut health because it's a bi-directional system. But how your gut health is and your gut microbiome health also influences the function of your brain and how you feel. And so part of, you know, your sleep mechanism is in your brainstem. And um, so when your vagus nerve is um, not properly active or, you know, active in kind of problematic ways, it's going to affect your ability to sleep. So um, I definitely see a lot of people who struggle with sleep. For me, sleep is, is kind of, um, it's one of the most sensitive measures of someone's health. Like my three questions that I ask people are, what are you eating? How do you sleep? How are you pooping? Those yeah. are the most important things that I can know besides what's the problem that you're experiencing because, you know, how you're sleeping and how, and how you're eliminating are, are really sensitive reflections of how your body whether your body's in balance or not. And sure, some people have fantastic sleep and fantastic, you know, pooping and peeing and, you know, excreting, and they can still have other problems. It's not to say that's the only, you know, the only measures, but very often those are disrupted um, when there's anything that we need to look at. So it's always a red flag for me if someone's having sleep issues. So suppose, how do you handle somebody who comes to you for sleep issues or uh, something else but they're struggling with very poor sleep quality they're not able to fall asleep or maintain sleep or just not getting optimal sleep altogether what would the what would be the way you would approach that in trying to resolve their sleep well i mean for me it's a whole you know it's a whole undertaking um because i'm looking at what times they you know are they having trouble falling asleep are they having trouble staying asleep? Um, what's their day, how is their day? Because your sleep is in part a reflection of how you feel during the day. So if we just focus on sleep, but we're not looking at, let's say someone's anxious during the day, you can't just expect somebody who's at 100 all day long to go to zero just because they want to at you know nine or 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So yeah. if somebody's really like anxious or their mind's racing or whatever, we actually need to look at how we can help them settle down and feel balanced during the day. I look at things like inflammation. I look at what times of night they might be waking up. So I look because there are certain times of the day that are connected with different organ systems. So, you know, that's an important part for me is, you know, are you waking up at, people will tell me sometimes they wake up by the minute at the same time. Yeah. 3.32, you know, whatever it is. And I can say, okay, like, there's a pattern there. What, what organ system is really in trouble? And you know, I like for me, um, when I, actually for me, I had a, a few years back, you know, I was um, in the end of my marriage and it was a very challenging time, you know, very emotional time. And I was waking up around 4.30 in the morning every single night and I'd be up for like two hours. And when I, when I went back and thought about it, it took me so long, even though this is what I do, you know, um, 
430, you know, which is connected to certain organ system, but also is connected to grief. And mm -hmm. I was, oh, okay. Like I need to, I need to really acknowledge that part of this process that I'm going through right now to, to be able to say, okay, um, pay attention to the grief and then you won't need to be waking up at 4.30 in the morning because it was like really getting very hard on me. And just by dealing with that, and I, I you know, looked at other things, homeopathy, flower essences, but just oh. also acknowledging it. And, and it did really, really help me. Yeah, that's beautiful because so many people still um, don't give emotions. The, there's such profound clues and I always talk about fear and adrenals, anger and liver and so many connections. But you did speak about the vagus nerve in terms of this connection between the gut and the brain. So are there anything, uh, three simple practices that you might advise somebody to do to support vagal health or to improve vagal tone? Yeah, and there are so many, so many. Yeah. 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 One thing, just being out in nature, that's, that's a basic, you know, and I say that because it's so fundamental, so simple for so many people. And I live in New York City. I happen to live in a very green part of New York City, but honestly, you know, you, there are parks, you know, there are, there are places that yeah. people can, can go and just literally going and hugging a tree. I am, yeah. I am like, I am a proud tree hugger. <laughs> you know? so, so literally going out and just leaning against trees, sitting on a rock, taking your lunch outside, you yeah. know, or doing, even you have work on your computer or reading a book. Go sit down on the earth and, you know, it's a whole process called grounding or earthing. And there's, you know, in my book, I include some papers about it, some references, but there is science that really shows it reduces your inflammatory response, helps you sleep better, helps you feel calmer, and it activates the vagus nerve. So that's one thing. Another thing um, is actually humming. Mm, I love humming. So humming or, ch or chanting is another yeah. one. Humming, chanting. Activating that throat, that throat chakra is actually very, very helpful for activating the vagus nerve. Gargling is another, another thing that people do or, or, or um, gulping water, like, like yeah. downing water, which I'm always thirsty. So <laughs> maybe that's why. Um, but yeah, so that's another one is like activating the throat in all those possible ways. Humming, singing, chanting, um, gargling, uh, swallowing water quickly. That's another way to activate the vagus nerve. And um, actually another one that I love and I've used with my patients for so long is a pranayama breathing mm. exercise, which is, you know, we call here because, you know, we were basic about it, is like four, seven, eight breathing. So, yeah. you know, I've... the breathing in for through, you know, and keeping your tongue kind of in that spot behind your, behind your upper teeth, right at the junction between the teeth and the palate, you just showed it in this video. Um, but that's really important to close that energetic circuit and you will feel the difference. Um, breathing in through your nose for four counts, nice strong breath in through your nose, holding it for seven counts and letting it whoosh out of your mouth with your tongue in position for eight counts. And you do that in cycles of four. So you do it four times, you do it eight times. You don't just do it once, you know, for that effect. And and the beautiful thing about it is you really can't do it too often, you know, um, 
In other words, I have people do it regularly, like three times a day, even if there's people who run anxious or people who are really inflamed because the vagus nerve actually among the many things it does, slowing down your heart rate, slowing down your respiratory rate, helping your digestion. We call it rest and digest. You know, um, when you're activating a certain arm of the vagus nerve that is your parasympathetic nervous system and calms you down. Um, it's also uh, a way to help reduce seizures for people who have seizures. I use it with people who have migraines, chronic migraines, people who have sleep issues, um, people who have anxiety. I've used it many times when I'm in a stressful situation or before I was going to give a really big talk in front of people that I was nervous about. Mm. You know, doing it, it's very, it's very quiet. Nobody has to know. Doing it regularly, your bo my body would respond as soon as I would put my tongue in the position. I would already start to feel like Pavlov's dog, you know? I'd already be like, <laughs> I, am, I am calm. And so it's a really profound and wonderful and effective practice among, you know, many others. But, you know, I mean, meditation is another one. Doing regular meditation is another way to activate the vagus nerve. Um, luckily, we have so many ways that we can activate the vagus nerve so it doesn't just have to be one thing. It can be what feels right for you. The thing is, it's really important that it's something you do regularly to get the benefit, the real benefit over time. I think that's beautiful because so often the simple practices are just not celebrated enough, don't you think so? And to hear it from somebody like you who's a neurologist telling people that you can get profound benefits from simple practices where you don't need anybody, you don't need to go somewhere, you can just do it every single day and help yourself in such a big way. And uh, that was a great conversation, Dr. Maya, but I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm just going to ask you a couple more questions. Uh, hundred, almost 100 million people today have actually diagnosed sleep disorders. And this is not actually taking into account those who probably haven't gone to be diagnosed with something. So, so many more struggling with sleep issues and ignoring it. So what do you think is the biggest root cause of poor sleep? Oh, gosh. I mean, <laughs> it's, um, you know, the biggest root cause, I mean, there are some really simple things like light pollution that I actually think, yeah. um, Wi-Fi, you oh. know, I know that might seem controversial to people, but even years ago, before there was much more data about it, we saw that Wi-Fi affected circadian rhythms. Um, and now, if anything, we're just swimming in more of that. So I think, you know, Wi-Fi, I think light pollution, I think sound pollution, you want to unplug things in your bedroom. You want to have dark shades for the nighttime. You know, waking up as dawn comes is actually incredible. I think also when you can, you know, I think also um, taking opportunities to look at sunrise and sunset and having that, that actually our brains are programmed to, um, you know, be connected to these natural cycles. So, I think there is this disconnection from nature, and I'm a little biased about that, but I do think there's a lot of data behind that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, I think, you know, having quiet, having dark, you know, think about it. If you, you know, for people who have the opportunity to go out of their 
city or their suburban area and be in a place that's totally quiet and doesn't have a lot of, you know, Wi-Fi and connectivity, doesn't have the lights of the city shining, you know, you, you feel different and you sleep differently, you know, getting exercise, all of these things that are, again, I don't, I think, you know, I use botanicals, I'll use melatonin. I, I have a lot of ways that I help people sleep better, but very often it's because we're trying to get around the problem that they're not connected to the cycles of nature and they're not getting, they're moving their bodies and they're, you know, some of these, yeah. they're, they're not even remembering to breathe during the day, you know? And I know it seems like we're supposed to breathe automatically and obviously we do, but if you concentrate, I'm just gonna challenge people listening to this. If you concentrate or set an alarm every once an hour that remind just chimes, and you take a deep breath at that moment, you might find, and I think this is true for many people, that you have not taken a deep breath for a while. And um, so wow. these are things that are profound and change, profound and simple. You know, I mean, I don't think this is as complicated an issue um, as we all make it out to be. It's just so hard for us to sometimes get back to the basics and connect with, you know, the the connect with nature and connect with the natural cycles. there um so yeah that's great and just one more thing if somebody wants to improve the state of their microbiome what's the first thing that they can do without going to anybody without just sitting at home what can they do to other than of course to pick up your book the dirt cure and start to read it for more information but what's the one thing that people can do today to support their microbiome um well i think you know eating diverse foods especially fruits and vegetables um i think i mean again like it's just it's simple you know my one of my teachers would say simple like that so you know, eating, eating fresh foods that are different colors, different, you know, kind of fresh, um, especially organic, if possible, you know, not, or at least not sprayed with pesticides um, is a really simple thing that I think hopefully a lot of people can do. Um, and, and then the other one is, is just getting outside, you know, yeah. getting into nature. And getting to pick up your a copy of your book and definitely read that. So I usually have all my guests complete my phrase, which is if sleep is the new medicine, then so how would you complete that sentence? Um, if sleep is the new medicine, then is that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I would say <laughs> is, the, is the old medicine and, the, and an ancient medicine, but yeah, I mean, I think if sleep is the new medicine, then it's then we have to really remember to honor our bodies and honor our rest 
and not constantly be in activated mode or think that we need to be accomplishing and achieving all the time, but to really un uh, understand that therefore sleep is sacred. That's absolutely beautiful. Thank you, Dr. Maya, for giving. I think this episode is filled with pearls of wisdom, ancient, modern, both coming together. So amazing. It was an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. And I do encourage everyone to actually go pick up your book, The Dirt Cure, because I absolutely loved it. So where can people find you if they want to know more about you? I know that your Instagram account is a, a, is a sparkly one for sure. So it definitely strong voice on your Instagram. So just where can people find you? Yeah, for sure. Um, the best place is to go to my website. It's drmaya.com, D-R-M-A-Y-A.com. And um, I actually have a free um, set of gut healing recipes mm. that would like to download that. And um, also a lot of other practices, including the 478 breathing, all for free. So people can just go to my free gift there. Um, and then, of course, Instagram, YouTube, I've started... Um, posting some videos on YouTube about kind of spirituality, about plants, herbalism, um, the microbiome, and and more. So just look for Dr. Maya she treat. Beautiful. So there's so much today for our listeners, but thanks for joining us and uh, have a great day. Thank you so much for having me. enjoyed the show just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only this is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional this information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services if you are looking for personal help on your health journey do seek out a medical practitioner please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with your doctor or otherwise qualified healthcare professional it is in no way intended as medical advice as a substitute for medical counseling or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition be sure to always work directly with a qualified health practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com or www.sleepwhisperer.pro. It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care, especially when it comes to chronic health conditions.